If you have a Bible, we are in Revelation 21 today, Revelation 21. If you need a Bible, um, you can slip a hand up. We'll have ushers coming down the aisles and you can borrow one this morning or keep it if you need it. You can also scan that QR code that'll take you to the Bible app and get you to a place where there's everything there for you. Thanks for being here this morning, worshiping uh, live and those who are joining us online and those in traditions and kindred. And uh, it's fun to have different places where we worship, but we worship the same great God and share the same uh, teaching. I started the series on heaven a few weeks ago talking about just how short our time here is on this earth compared to the time that we will spend in our eternal home. Then I talked about the reality of heaven and hell, that they are real places, no matter what some people are saying. They are real places, followed by this idea of an intermediate heaven that when believers die, they go to an intermediate heaven before the final heaven because the final heaven isn't complete yet. And last week I talked about our glorified bodies. And today I'm gonna be addressing the four common questions or at least four questions about heaven. There was this 85 year old couple having been married for almost 60 years and they died in an accident. And for the last 10 years of their life, they were in good health, uh, mainly due to their interest in health food and, and exercise. And when they reached the, the pearly gates, St. Peter took them into their mansion, which was decked out with a beautiful kitchen, master uh, bath and, and a jacuzzi. And as they oohed and awed, uh, the man asked St. Peter, he said, this is all great, but this is gonna be expensive. What is this gonna cost us? And he said, no, this is heaven. Everything is free here. And next they went out behind their house and, and, he, and he noticed this championship golf course and he's like, oh man, I love to play golf and I wanna play golf every single day, but what are the green fees? I don't know if I can afford this. Peter again said, you can, you can play for free anytime you want. Next they went into the clubhouse and they saw this incredible buffet spread of food, cuisines from all over the world laid out. Well, how much is it to eat? Asked the old man. Don't you understand yet? This is heaven, it's free. He says, well, kind of sheepishly, where's the low fat and low cholesterol tables? And Peter lectured, oh, that's the best part. You can eat whatever you want. You can eat as much as you want. This is heaven. You're never gonna get sick. You're not gonna gain weight. And with that, the old man went into this fit of anger, throwing down his hat, stomping on it, and shriekly wildly, Peter and the man's wife both tried to calm him down. He says, sir, calm down. And she said, honey, calm down. What's wrong? And the old man looked at his wife and said, this is all your fault. If it weren't for your blasted bran muffins, I could have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> Better than having a house painted in blue and orange, isn't it? From last week, if you were here. What will the final heaven look like? That's the first question we wanna talk about this morning. We're gonna be in Revelation 21, and let me just begin with the first two verses, and the sub-point is this, his final plan. So we're gonna, we're gonna take a look at what is this, this new Jerusalem, what is the final heaven gonna be like? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. The earth, during the days of Noah was, was destroyed by water. And maybe you're familiar with that story. All of the evil was, was wiped completely away and God judged the earth. 
and used water to, to bring about this catastrophic event to accomplish this, this cleansing or this restoration. This time, the goal will be the same. He will restore the earth once again, and many believe uh, that he will use fire instead of water this time. And this, this cleansing will permanently eliminate sin forever because fire, the idea of fire, it purifies. So what is the meaning of the word new? A new heaven and a new earth. It suggests a transformation of the entire universe. And the Greek word for new that's used here in this passage indicates the earth God creates will not be new in contrast with the old, rather it means a new quality, new in quality and superior in character. It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians when he says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The new earth will be the same as the old earth, just restored to its perfect intent, as some believe. Just as a person who is made new in Christ is the same person, yet different, so will the new earth be. Also, to help us understand what this new heaven will look like, let's talk about his awesome presence. It goes on in verse three and it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their guide, their God. In the Old Testament, there was a section of the temple uh, in what was called the most holy place, if you're familiar with that, and it was a perfect cube, and it was 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. So uh, imagine for a second maybe a, a house that's 900 square feet, but the, but the difference is, is that it also went 30 feet in the air. It's this perfect cube. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, in just a minute, you're gonna see some similarities. The old Jerusalem had a holy place where the presence of God would come down and the new Jerusalem is a holy place where the presence of God will remain forever and ever. You will not be able to run or hide nor escape from the presence of God. He will be everywhere. The fellowship between God and man that was destroyed in the garden because of sin, because Adam and Eve, will be restored in its perfect sense in heaven. We will live in complete, unending fellowship with God. Can you even imagine that? We will be so preoccupied with God that we'll have no time to be preoccupied preoccupied with ourselves. Almost a complete flip-flop of our time here on this earth. He will consume all of our thoughts, all of our actions. Imagine that everything you do has God in mind. Everything you think is godly. When you take God out of the picture, you have to say, well, ask the question, well, what is left when God is removed? Well, we have pride and envy and we have lust and hate and bitterness and unforgiveness and malice and ungodliness and evil thoughts. But when you take us out of the picture, what you have left is grace and joy and peace and love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness. Now, ask yourself the question, who would you rather have removed from the picture, God or self? His perfect design, as we continue on uh, in this passage, we're gonna skip down to verse 12 and 13. Let's talk about this new city and what it might look like. 
Verse 12 and 13 says this. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. So it's the city with three gates on each side. And according to verse 25, on no day will those gates ever be closed. The reason for this is because in and around the New Jerusalem, there will be no enemies. There will be no presence of danger, no need to close these gates. What would one find outside of these gates? If in fact we are eternally in the presence of others who are also children of God, in other words, all believers for all eternity, is it possible that we will be able to travel from this great city that comes down out of the sky called the New Jerusalem that's defined by space? Can we travel? Maybe. What if we could go exploring? Travel to distant lands outside of the gates. Go to meet loved ones. It talks about the foundation beginning in verse 14. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. So you think of these 12 foundations below you and the, the city is described to have these 12 foundations, each representing a different gem. Foundations and footings are generally underground, but these foundations will be displayed for everyone to be able to see. Each of the 12 separate foundations will have its own jewel. So when God's light shines through, all of these jewels together will be this, will be so brilliant when we look upon them. There'll be a clear crystal, a blue stone, greenish blue, a white stone streaked with brown, a yellow quartz, topaz, a yellow green, there would be this deep blue, this rich purple. Heaven will be brilliant and indescribable. In verse 15, it starts to tell us more about the city itself and the size of the city. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. And the city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. And the angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. It goes on, the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. 
And the, and the great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Fifteen times in Revelation 21 and 22, the place of God and his children will live together for all eternity is referred to as a city. Now I'm going to take you back to the beginning of this series on heaven. You might remember a few weeks ago the definition of paradise is a walled park or a city. So according to the scripture, the word is used to describe the Garden of Eden, if you remember, the intermediate heaven, and the final heaven. All three places are called paradise. A walled park or a city is the idea. A city also suggests design and infrastructure and buildings and people. <clears throat> The city's dimensions are marked out by an angel in man's measurements. The city is described to be the equivalent of 1,400 miles <clears throat> in length, in width, and in height. A perfect cube. The Holy of Holies was 30 by 30 by 30, and this new Jerusalem, this perfect city, will be 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. Just to give you an example, the size of this city, comparing it to what might be familiar to us as we have traveled, it would stretch from Canada to Mexico and from the Appalachian Mountains to the California border. So if you could kind of get that, that geography in mind, the city's square footage will be approximately 2 million square miles. Just to give you an example to compare with, the New Jerusalem, this city, will be 40 times bigger than England, 15,000 times bigger than London, it's 10 times as big as France or Germany, and even far bigger than India. And the reason I use India as an example is because in India there's over a billion people who live there. But here's something really fascinating. Andy, uh, Randy Alcorn points out in his book on heaven, we are only describing the ground floor, this 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. It's only the ground floor because the scripture gives us the measurement of height of 1,400 miles. Might we also consider the possibility of levels or floors, so to speak? If there were levels with a distance of, just pick 12 feet between each floor, there would be room for 600,000 stories. If people were on different floors, billions of people could occupy the New Jerusalem with many square miles per person. It's just something to ponder. The radiance of God's glory will be so brilliant that there will be no need for light. God's glory is our light. Wouldn't that be awesome? Question two, will we eat and drink in heaven? You're gonna see some scripture up on the screens here in a minute, but let's, let's cut right to the chase, right? 
Will there be a cheesecake factory? Giordano's Pizza, if you're familiar with that. Outback in heaven. Will, will any of these restaurants be there? Can we eat? In other words, will we enjoy food and drink in heaven like we do here on this earth? Studies have shown that the three most common questions that the average person asks at any time is, what are you watching on TV? How's your day? And what's for supper, dinner? Here on earth, our lives often evolve around food. In fact, our day is often compartmentalized into three sections, right? Breakfast, lunch, and supper. Philippians 3.21 says this. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. One of the best examples of what our bodies might be like is Jesus' glorified body. Our lowly bodies are gonna be changed, they're gonna be completely transformed, changed to be like his glorified body. In Psalm 78, 25, this is what it says. Men ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food that they could eat. Does this mean the food was like angelic food, or that manna, you remember manna in the Old Testament that fell from heaven, or that manna was in fact the food the angels eat. Food that came from heaven, food so perfect and delicate, sent from heaven. Quite possibly to to mean the food that was eaten there and that had now been sent down by a special miracle for man, food so delicate and so free from the ordinary that it might be such as angels feed on. Jesus provides for us another, uh, I think, really interesting example. You might remember after the, after the resurrection that he was on the shore and the, the disciples were fishing and, and, and he was cooking some breakfast and he said, hey, why don't you guys come ashore and have some breakfast with me? So he gives us indication that, in fact, he did eat after the resurrection. Scripture repeatedly points to things like banquets and tables and eating and drinking. Therefore, Should we walk away from such language and word pictures assuming that this is all symbolic, that we wouldn't eat and drink? I know for some of you, I just made your day, right? From all appearances, we will be as physical as we are here right now. Therefore, I believe that there will be eating and drinking in heaven it appears that even in heaven, food and drink will, be, will bring this enjoyment and this, this, this celebration. I think all of this is mind-blowing because I think many of us have been so fixated and have settled in our heads that heaven is this, this mystical place. Question three, what will our daily lives be like? When God created the world, He rested on the seventh day. Why did he do that? Because he was tired? Because he ran out of ideas? Because he felt as though he deserved to rest? One thing we know for sure is that by resting, he set for us an example, a pattern of life that just works. 
Matthew 11, 28 and 29 says this. I love this passage. Come to me, Jesus said. And maybe this, maybe this will speak to you this morning. Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. So God offers to all those who come to him a rest that's otherwise inaccessible. Jesus says, come to me all you are weary and heavy burdened. I will give you rest. The rest God modeled for us in creation is what we can expect in the days of eternity. Times of joyful praise and relaxed fellowship. Now listen to this. Imagine this. Never in a hurry. Never happen to be two places at one time. No more running our kids all over kingdom come. No more overcommitted calendars. As I said earlier, the reason it'll be so different is this, the life you have in heaven will not be about you. It won't be about me. It'll be about God. When our lives are focused on God, that's when we find rest, that's when we find contentment, that's when we find fulfillment and satisfaction. Imagine if this rest that we'll experience in heaven were available to us right now during this time when we remain. Imagine. Or is it? Is it possible that what we've been offered by Jesus is a sample of it? So if we rest, the next question is, will we sleep? Some writers suggest that we will not need to sleep since our bodies are perfect and we won't lack anything. This is true, but so it is, in fact, it appears that we'll eat. So maybe we could assume that we also might sleep. Did Adam and Eve sleep prior to the fall? We would have to assume so. Maybe if we do sleep in heaven, it won't be for the purpose as it is here on this earth. Maybe it wouldn't be for the purpose to rejuvenate our bodies, but rather for the purpose of creating some kind of rhythm for life in heaven. Sleep is a treasure from God and is considered as a pleasure. Well, if we eat in heaven and possibly even sleep in heaven, the next natural question is, oh boy, will we work in heaven? In Genesis 2, remember we're drawn from hints of scripture. In Genesis 2, God took Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. That's what he did. Work was a part of the creation plan even prior to the fall. So work in and of itself was not a part of the curse. Do you remember the curse I talked about a couple weeks ago? Work itself was not a part of that that fell on mankind after Adam and Eve sinned. The curse after they sinned only made work menial and sometimes frustrating and challenging. 
Work is a value of God and hard work is honoring to God. Laziness is dishonoring to God. Revelation 22 verses one through three says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. I want you to catch this next part. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and its servants will serve him. The word serve suggests action or responsibility. Uh, we will serve God, we will, we will actively accomplish tasks. We know that God values work. Did you catch the phrase, on each side of the river stood the tree of life? Do you remember a couple weeks ago when I said it showed up three different times? It showed up in the Garden of Eden, it shows up in paradise in the intermediate heaven, and it shows up in the final heaven. That's the thread, is the tree of life. And there it is again. Question four, what will our relationships be like? Matthew 22, 28 through 30 says this. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So however, there will be a marriage that will supersede all other marriages here on this earth. The passage I just read does not say there will not be marriage in heaven. It says there will not be marriage between people as we know it. <clears throat> but there will be marriage. In heaven, we will experience the perfect marriage with Christ. We are his bride, the church is his bride. I do believe we'll have relationships with those that we love. I believe we will know each other, just not in the context of marriage as we know it right now. The perfect marriage we long for here on this earth will be fulfilled in our perfect marriage with Christ in heaven. The marriage we have on this earth is, is, is not a waste. We will desire company with those whom we love and invest here on this earth. While there will be gender in heaven, after all, Jesus was not genderless after the resurrection, because there will be no marriage as we know it, there will also be no sex in heaven, we can assume. One author said, relationships are the only thing that you can take with you to heaven. Another author said, all of our misunderstandings, judgments, disappointments, resentments, hurts of the past that can happen even in the best of relationships will be forgiven and forgotten. We will only know unconditional love and never ending joy in relationships. Let me close with one thing, it's John 14, one through four. And I like how Eugene Peterson 
paraphrase this passage. He says it like this. Don't let this rattle you. You trust God, don't you? Trust me. There is plenty of room for you in my father's home. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? And if I'm on my way to get your room ready, I'll come back and get you so you can live with me where I live. And you already know the road that I'm taking. And so my question um, to bring this message to a close, knowing that you're going to have a place in our Father's house, knowing that you're going to have a room or an abode as some have referred to it, who are you inviting? Who's on your invite list? Who is God laying on your heart that you know right now does not know Jesus and will not experience this eternal home unless they come to Christ? Who are you praying for? Who are you talking to? Who are you sharing the good news with? Father, thank you for, um, again, for your word and thank you for um, the hints that we can draw from scripture and the truths that we can draw from scripture and, and the other resources that we can use to draw some principles and some ideas and thoughts and dreams and imaginations. Knowing that our time here on this earth is just a snap of a finger, but we're gonna spend all eternity in this place. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have, for the promises that you have, you have made to us as your children. God, as always, I pray that it, as we finish worshiping here in just a couple of minutes when we leave this place, that we can leave in a little better place with greater hope knowing what's ahead. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.